Okay, good evening, everybody. Great to see everyone. Um, especially on a really, I know there's like a hundred things going on every day. So it's so nice to see everybody here uh, tonight. Um, it is no secret that over the past number of years, and certainly in the aftermath of COVID-19, this is before anything having to do with what was going on in Israel. Um, the United States and really the world, and certainly the Jewish community, has been experiencing an explosion of mental health needs. More individuals than ever report feeling anxious or depressed, and it's particularly true regarding children. Yet even as we're all becoming more aware of the ever-present challenges that exist in the areas of mental health, there still remains some hesitancy amongst people to talk about it. It's true in the general society, and it's also true in the Jewish community. And it's for these reasons and others that we decided it would be a great idea to launch a mental health initiative for our community, and Bechol Nafshecha was born. I have tremendous Akarasato to our anonymous YOT family, who has underwritten the entire program. Without their vision, their encouragement, and financial support, we would not have been able to launch the program. I also want to thank Shani Barbara, Julia Sucre, and Lisa Heller, each of whom are ex- expert clinicians in their own right, who agreed to take time out of their very, very busy schedules to sit on the Bechol Nafshecha committee, framing the vision for the general initiative and for this initial series in particular, as we begin focusing on the emotional wellness of our children. Tonight, we're going to focus on parenting elementary age children. On December 17th, we're going to hear from Dr. Sarah Rower, who's going to speak about preteen and teenagers. And on February 4th, we're going to host Dr. Michal Pelkovitz Gala and Dr. Martin Gala, who are in-laws, not, um, who will discuss post-high school and emerging adults. But tonight, we have the opportunity to hear from Dr. Ilana Dumont. Dr. Dumont is a New York State licensed clinical psychologist who works in private practice and as a director of psychological services at Yeshiva of Central Queens. Dr. Dumont provides therapy to individuals struggling with mood, anxiety, and behavioral disorders. Dr. Dumont works with children through adults in both individual and group settings. She specializes in working with parents to support their children with anxiety and behavioral issues and is trained in Dr. Becky Kennedy's Good Inside approach. She's also trained in treatments for perinatal mood disorders and treats women with postpartum depression and anxiety. It is an honor to present Dr. Anna Dumont. Hey, that was a really nice introduction. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, so Lisa texted me and said she wasn't sure how the turnout was going to be, but this is amazing. So thank you so much, everybody, for coming. And really what a beautiful initiative that your shul has taken on and shows where, where the priorities are. Um, okay, so that was a really good introduction. You covered a lot, um, but I'll just introduce myself again. I'm Alana Dumont. I'm a school and clinical psychologist. I work at YCQ. I'm sure people know Rabbi Mark Landsman, who is my boss, and he said he was going to show up, but he's not here. Um, and I'm also in private practice, and my, my most recent training, an intensive training with Becky Kennedy, so many of you probably follow her, Dr. Becky, on in- Good Inside on Instagram. So... If you do, a lot of this is going to sound um, familiar to you. Okay, so initially when I was when, when we were planning and Lisa reached out to me, the agenda was going to be a little broader um, in terms of covering more general mental health, um, maybe more of a range of diagnoses, but given the current situation and who really isn't anxious these days, we're going to really focus on anxiety. Um, a little bit of parenting, and then at the end, I'm going to just briefly cover a few things related to Israel because I couldn't do this without, without that. Um, 
So we're going to define anxiety just so that we're all on the same page and, and, you know, what we're really talking about. I'm going to share a little bit of what we're calling the prereqs, just um, some background, some things I just want everyone to kind of keep in mind um, it, when, when we're thinking about supporting our kids. Um, we'll talk about what anxiety looks like in children specifically. And then I will, of course, cover some, some good strategies for anxiety. I won't, I won't let you leave without really feeling like you have something to actually do with your kids. Um, and then at the end, we'll talk about parenting during crisis. Okay, so I wanted to start with this quote. The parent-child connection is the most powerful mental health intervention known to mankind. This is from Bessel van der Kolk. He is a psychiatrist. He's a trauma expert. He wrote the book, The Body Keeps the Score. You might have heard of it. Um, mainly what, what he studies is trauma and trauma symptoms. And, and his, his main concept that he teaches is how a lot of our physical feelings of trauma specifically really live in our body. And, and come out because we're, we're holding them so, so tightly on the inside. So just as we go through tonight, like I said, there's going to be a lot of different strategies that I'll, that I'll share with you, but this is really what it's always going to come back to, this, this main idea. And I'm going to just share a really brief story. I, I'm a mom too. I have three really young kids, all under the age of eight, um, going back like four and a half years um, before my third was born, so I, I had just had my second, so she was probably like four or five months old, and my older daughter had a, needless to say, a very difficult time with her entering the family. Um, we were all kind of going through a hard time, and she came to me, my, my older one, who was maybe like two and a half, almost three, would come to me crying, um, Reese hit me, Reese pinched me, and like ba- blaming this like non-mobile infant like in a, in a bouncy, and I would really get very frustrated with her. I was like not anywhere close to like knowing who Dr. Becky was at the time and I was not responding to her as my best psychologist. And in one of my better moments for whatever reason I said to her, "Okay, so Reese pinched you. So what 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 can I do? How how can I help you?" And she said, and she was so taken aback because, like, clearly that was not how I typically responded to her. Um, and she you could see she didn't know what to say to me. And she just like looked down and then she looked up and then she said, "I can I have a hug? I said, that was so easy. That's it. You just, of course you could have a hug. And so it just this quote room always reminds me of that anecdote. That anecdote always sticks with me. I, I share it with parents that I work with. Um, and it's just to highlight the importance of your children really just wanting to feel seen, wanting to connect with you. So if you take nothing else from tonight, take that. Okay, so like I said, let's just get to some definitions so that we're all on the same page. So what is anxiety? So for my therapist in the room, I apologize. You can give this slide over with your eyes closed probably. Um, But it is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. So that's just our definition. Um, I like to think of it as kind of like the body's alarm system. It's, it kind of lives inside of you and alerts you to things that you just need to pay more attention to. And it could feel really uncomfortable, like our, our you know, typical feelings of anxiety is like butterflies in the stomach, you might be a little shaky, sweating, all those things that, that don't feel good, you don't want to think about. Um, but it's actually protective, right? So this is what I always, as a psychologist, like a psychologist nerd would, find really cool and interesting, right? It's, it's actually your body putting you into fight or flight mode and helping protect you from something that it's perceiving as dangerous. So I'm thinking of your client right now, right? Like thousands of years ago when there were cavemen walking around, the only thing they were worried about was survival. They, they needed to make sure they were fed, maybe fight a bear, maybe find something to sleep under at night, right? 
That was it. And so if they didn't walk around with this level of, of alert and anxiety, for, for lack of a better word, they were not going to survive. So thank God for this, right? Like we, we need this right now. And we fast forward to, where, to the times that we're living in. And again, for, for, the, for the beginning parts of this presentation, we're going to put Israel on the table over there, okay? So we're thinking about our kids growing up in a, you know, with daily typical life stressors that our, ki- that our kids might. And when we have these symptoms of butterflies in the stomach, like I said, the, the shakiness, the sweating, the headaches, the stomach aches, those feel really bad. And especially for our children who are experiencing these feelings for the first time, maybe, and not really knowing why they're feeling so uncomfortable. So they want to do anything they can do to get rid of the way that they're feeling. I mean, plenty of adults don't like feeling this way. I kind of felt this way getting ready for this presentation, right? Anything that's meaningful to you, you're going to have these nervous feelings about. So it's really about helping our kids understand the difference between what's what we call a real alarm and a false alarm. And that's really where the work is. We're, we're not trying to help them get rid of these feelings. We want to help them kind of relate more to these feelings, connect with the feelings and understand why they're feeling this way. And actually, if you pick apart, and I will often do this in my private practice, but if you really pick apart each one of these symptoms, they all have a reason to help you. So for, for example, Many people have the, the heart racing, and that's, the reason for that is that it's pumping blood all through your body so that it could help you run away or fight or do whatever to energize you to do what you need. I can go through each one, but I won't. Um, but just believe me, they, they each have a reason. Okay, so I spoke about those. I mentioned those, those prerequisites, and here they are. So there's just a few things I just want us to kind of keep in the back of our minds and, and really understand before we continue on, on on the more proactive ways to be helping our kids. So the first thing I want to discuss is attachment. And we hear a lot about this idea of attachment parenting. Some, sometimes maybe you hear gentle parenting. It's, it's not gentle. Um, but attachment, the concept is really important. And basically, the definition would be an emotional bond between parent and child. And that really is what attachment is. And and just like this anxiety fight or flight has evolutionary roots, so does this idea of attachment. Babies are born totally helpless, right? They come into this world, they're totally dysregulated. We, We want our kids to be regulated. They're given to us dysregulated. And all they rely on are are is their primary caregiver. Attachment is the way that kids learn to feel safe in this world. And boundaries, and when parents are bound, give boundaries, when they're responsive, that's the way that kids actually feel safe to explore the world around them. And when they're exploring, parents and kids do this kind of dance that we call co-regulation. So what this basically means is that our calmness as parents is how kids learn to also be calm. And it's not something that happens right away. It's not like we stand there like this and then they're just going to stop crying, right? But from birth, even through the elementary school, through high school, any age, right? When they see us standing sturdy, they can absorb some of that calmness from us. And, that, and that's the definition of this co-regulation, which, which will come up with that. Okay, so something that I think most parents want for their kids, right, is goals of kids being regulated in their emotions, sorry, Um, maybe feeling confident. We might want our kids to be resilient, right? These are things that I I hear from parents a lot. So in order for our kids to learn regulation, like I just said, so we can support that with co-regulation, but also by helping them identify their emotions. 
I always also say to parents, I, like I said, I work in a school, I, I give very similar talks to teachers too. So we'll often be talking about a child who is acting out or distracted or whatever, you know, we hear and we want them to have coping skills. And that's a word that's thrown around a lot. And coping skills equals regulation. But if a child doesn't know what their feeling is, they don't know what they're regulating. So this is really where the work starts by naming emotions for our kids, saying to them something doesn't feel right to them in their body, maybe they're feeling nervous, whatever it is. And now with that, I think comes confidence. And the reason I say that is because a lot of us, when we hear the word confident, we might have an image of a person who maybe walks into a party and starts talking to everybody and making jokes or maybe like the kid at recess who's like in the middle of the crowd or that's a lot of times what we're visualizing, right? That is not the definition of confidence that I work with. And what I, what I prefer when we think of confidence is a kid or a person who understands themselves, somebody who really, really knows how they're feeling. And, you know, we've all been that, well, maybe we've all been that parent who's been in a situation with their child and thought, why is my kid acting different than everybody else, right? Like maybe you're at the playground with your kid and then all the kids go up to, to try the high slide, right? Except for your kid. And your kid's standing next to you and tugging on your shirt or like clinging to you and you just like want to talk to your friends at the park. Like you didn't come to like be with your kids. You came to like just like sit with friends, right? And you're like, oh, go, like everybody else is going on the slide. Like why don't you want to go on the slide, right? And then that is a kid who's going to think to themselves, well, not like consciously in that moment, but think to themselves, so I know that something doesn't feel right right now, but this person who I rely on for everything keeps telling me like not to worry and like it's not a big deal. So like maybe it's not a big deal, but like I'm, I'm ignoring something that feels like it's something. And this is where, where trust happens, right? And we're, we're now giving this message back like I know how you feel better than you know how you feel. Right. So we think we're helping our kids be more confident because we want them to try the high slide with everybody else. But we're actually saying, look what everyone else is doing. And that's what you should be doing. You'd, I'd rather a kid who hears from a parent that slide doesn't feel right for you yet. You can stand here until until you feel ready. If you feel ready, I promise you. And, and I'm, I'm actually speaking to myself at the same time. My own skills as psychologists have shifted over the years. And I think one might argue this is going to reinforce them not trying the slide. It's not doing that. I promise you. I've seen it now. And what it's doing is it's building connection. It's letting a child feel seen and it's letting them understand their feeling. And by you not having hesitation about their hesitation, they will learn to not be so afraid of that feeling eventually too. And this is a process, so don't get me wrong. Um, and then that last piece of resilience, fortunately or unfortunately, resilience is really born from challenge, right? So we're not, yes, we say a lot, kids are resilient, kids are resilient, and they are. They're not just born resilient. They go through hard emotions. They learn to tolerate hard emotions. Unfortunately, they, they go through hard, hard situations. That's how kids become resilient. So a kid who, and I've, I'm not minimizing this like slide situation, but I'm just going with this example. A kid who then maybe a week later returns to the slide with just their parent and nobody else there and maybe like goes to the top and stands there for a few minutes and that's it for the day, right? They're working on it. Th those are steps that they're taking. So that to me is a, is a more confident and, and resilient type of kid. Okay, so I just want to say a few things about what happens when the brain is under stress, specifically in kids in the classroom. Um, 
So when a kid feels stressed about something, and when I, when I say stressor, I mean whatever the child perceives as a stressor. So that, that could be something going on at home. That could be something at school that feels hard for them that, that is, is challenging. That could be a teacher that they don't feel connected to just yet. There's a learning brain and there's a survival brain. A lot of this research came out also like during COVID. And the learning brain, will, the, the survival brain is always going to dominate the learning brain. And so when a kid feels stressed about something, they aren't going to be in a, in a space for learning. Their, their brain isn't open for learning. So this is just one of those, another plug for why emotional identification is really important. Because if a child can say, I'm feeling nervous about X, or this space is not feeling comfortable to me, that's already a step towards how we can regulate or, or problem solve this. There's a lot of evidence that shows that there's a relationship between understanding emotions and academic performance. If a child can relate to this feeling of test anxiety, right? Maybe they're giving a presentation that's that's feeling that they're feeling nervous about. When they can connect to those feelings, we know that academic performance is improved. And the the most exciting thing because I love working with parents and teachers is that there's also research that says that when there is support from a trusted adult, namely parents teachers, a child will be more open to learning overall. Okay, so I just want to run through a few of what we call, I guess, the symptoms, but what you might see in a child when they're operating under some level of stress. I, I like have no interest in labeling any child as having anxiety or not, but just for lack of a better word, we're going to say anxious. Um, so the first thing I, I just want to focus on is inattention. I think this also, there's a lot of, you know, we, we can mistake in this specific symptom for other things a lot of the time. And often, do, do we have teachers in the, room, in the room today? Are there teachers? I figured. So a lot of times we have ch- kids who, you know, looking this way, looking that way, they're staring at the window, maybe they're getting up, they're throwing something out. Maybe he has ADHD, right? Like maybe, maybe this kid has ADHD, maybe he needs meds, right? right? Then we're going to go down that path. So I just want to make a, make a point to say that it's very possible that there is a little flicker of anxiety there, you know, as a rule out. Um, when, when a child is operating under stress, they're not focused. And whatever it is that is stressful to them, that, I mean, as adults, I think we can all relate to that too. So I just, I always like to call attention to, no pun intended, to that <laughs> symptom. Um, another thing you'll see with kids a lot is physical symptoms. This is probably like the number one. I have a very strong relationship with the school nurse at, at YCQ. Um, <laughs> When you see a kid going down to the office, often stomach aches, headaches, and, and there's no medical cause. I, I don't mean to dismiss anything real going on. You, you would want to wonder what they're trying to avoid and when those physical symptoms start. And again, the physical symptoms actually are real. I, I'm not actually saying that a kid doesn't have a stomach ache. I believe that the child has a stomach ache. I think that it's the child's body perceiving a situation as, as threatening. And the body's like, oh, okay, I better run. Let me get ready to run, right? So, so that's, that's a big one. Um, other things like irritability, I think that kids don't always know how to say they're nervous and then they become short-fused or whatever, and that, that also could end up being anxiety. Reassurance-seeking with kids is a big one, and this comes in the form of a lot of questions. So if you're noticing a lot of questions about the same topic and you've answered it in like 15 different ways, um, it's very possible that, that a child is trying to control something that feels very out of control for them, which, which is always related to, to anxiety, right? Like we want to know what's going to happen. We want to know the outcome. We can't possibly always know the outcome of everything. Sometimes you'll see decreased motivation because 
that I feel is that it's easier to avoid something that's stressful than to approach something that's stressful, right? So let me just not do it at all and let me just not care at all. And sleep-wake cycles, obviously, like, that's always the first thing that gets affected. I, I forgive me, forgot also eating, right? That's another, another area that we look at. And social withdrawal, depending on, on what the dynamics are and what the specific situation is. All right. So now I'm going to do some strategies, okay? So do we feel like we're all on the same page so far? Okay, good. Okay, so I wanted to just give a very brief overview of cognitive behavioral therapy. Again, I apologize to anyone that know it already. Um, but this is, a, you know, a theory in psychology. And what the, the, the main working concept is that there's thoughts, there's feelings, and there's behaviors. And there are these bi-directional arrows because each one impacts the other. Also, if you change one, the others will, will be changed too, which I always think is kind of cool. Um, just to give you an example of how, how this kind of goes into play, someone in this room was really scared of dogs when, when she was little. So the way this would play out would be walking down the street, right? That's like the situation. And then there's a dog coming, coming towards that person on a leash, by the way. And that child gets so scared, right? So scared would be the feeling, the emotion. We feel so nervous. And also there would be also those physical feelings that one gets that's, that's related to the emotion. Often with that comes a really quick, terrible negative thought, usually like a, a really negative prediction. So I have this fear and that dog is going to like break off the leash and come chase after me and bite me and actually like bite my whole leg off probably. And so what, what am I going to do if that, that's going to happen? Like I've told myself that's definitely going to happen. So my behavior is going to, I want to avoid this feeling and I want to avoid that happening, obviously. So I'm going to cross the street and I'm going to avoid. And that's like the number one behavior that maintains anxiety is avoidance, right? So if we can get, we're not only avoiding the situation, but I also think for kids specifically, they want to avoid how terrible this feels. So, so that, and that's like the main crux of all this is like, it's, it's really not about what it is. It's teaching them that you are safe in your body and anxiety is not dangerous, um, even though it, it feels like it is. But okay, I'm getting ahead of myself now. So the thing with this too is that you can break down each uh, part of that triangle into different strategies. So the first is feelings. And I, again, you can start with any of the three. And what's great is that you start with one and then the others kind of follow in terms of diffusing the severity of it. Um, and I think sometimes it's just preference of how a child relates to these different strategies. But in terms of our feelings, like I said before, number one thing is to name it for, for kids. They don't know what they're regulating if we don't teach them what this feeling is. And the other thing, like, like I've said so many times already, is that these feelings really live inside of our bodies. And so when, we, when, we're, when we're saying the feeling, we're also saying the physical feeling. And so a lot of these, and I, that, this would be a whole other presentation, I won't, I won't do this justice now, but a lot of these other techniques really are about taking, having the parasympathetic nervous system turn down the sympathetic nervous system. We want to quiet down that, that fight or flight response and kind of give this message back the bot to the body and the brain that you're actually safe right now. Your body thinks it's in danger. It's not. You're okay. Um, so deep breathing, I think, is the easiest. Uh, not not that it's easy to do, but the easiest to teach a kid and to to keep it in their back pocket. So, who here knows how to take a deep breath? Does everybody like know? Karen knows. Um, 
let's try it so that we all know that you can go home and teach your kids how to do this, okay? So I'm going to have everyone that's going to put their hands on their stomachs. You could sit up, like, comfortably. And a good deep breath starts from your nose, okay? So you want to breathe in through your nose. And as you're doing that, it sounds complicated, I promise. Once you're doing it, it's fine. Um, as you're breathing in through your nose, your stomach should be kind of puffing out like, like a balloon, but you're actually, like, breathing in. And then when you exhale, you're going out through your mouth and your stomach kind of deflates, okay? So everyone can try it out, ready? Everyone feels better now, right? <laughs> I know. Okay, so when you're teaching this to your kids, A, you tell them I have something magical to teach you, right? And what's so magical about it is like, no one knows you're doing it. And that's, that's my favorite about this, is that a kid could be sitting in a classroom, nerves, tense, and then they remember, oh, yeah, like, I, I can take a deep breath. And when you teach it to your child tomorrow morning, you're going to tell them that they're going to breathe in like they're smelling roses and then blow out like they're, like, blowing out a candle. Um, and that really calms the body. You have to do it, like, five times, though, not, not what you just, just did one time. And then there's other relaxation techniques that I like, like progressive muscle relaxation, so that I won't make everyone do that now, but it's about tensing different body parts and then purposely relaxing them what that does is it teaches a child to recognize when their body is feeling more tense because again a lot of times kids will be like sitting like this they don't even realize that they're sitting they're like okay relax your shoulders right but if you practice that with them in moments that they don't need it they will be better able to access these skills when they do mindfulness is really just about being in the present moment i i share this with all my clients i don't i don't practice meditation myself i think what i love about mindfulness is that a lot of times people think it's only about like meditating and it's actually not. It's just about whatever it is you're doing, you're doing it wholly, right? You're fully present in whatever activity you're doing. So you could teach your, your, your fifth grade son that like they could be mindful playing basketball. Like just get outside and like dribble that ball and pay attention to how it feels on your hand, what the sound feels like on the ground, right? So many ways to make this fun. And the way that extends too is that you have to really embrace this feeling. You need to be present with the feeling. And, and so I just think it's cool. There's a lot, a lot you can do with that. And then Calm, Headspace apps, there's, there's just tons out there. I just, I listed two. Okay, so then in terms of our thoughts, always when we have our, our feelings, our, our anxiety feelings, they come paired with some type of negative prediction like, like the dog. And so the skill here is that we want to get really good at pinpointing what the thought is so that we could do something called cognitive restructuring. And what that really means is you're kind of just reframing the thought, not to something necessarily positive, right? Because we're, we can't, we're not going to live in a, in a, we're not going to give our kids all this like false hope and it's all going to be okay. That, that's not really the goal, but it really it's about getting them to create some type of balanced, realistic thought. So, so that's what I mean by restructuring. And here's just a little trick to do this. Um, so I'll take you through an example using this. So, so again, what, what you're trying to do is help your child. And for you, for right now, in listening to your child talk, like maybe when they get off the bus, like you're going to notice now these things will kind of stand out to you a little bit more when, when you're listening to them. But what happens is they're... We, we call them cognitive distortions. And what I like to say to kids, too, is your brain's playing a trick on you, right? It feels that feeling in your body, the discomfort. And so you're... And it's because your brain has decided that a situation is not good for whatever reason. So, so this is the way that that would look. So let's say, let's use like, a, again, like the kid who's nervous about homework, let's say. Homework is very overwhelming. I'm sure nobody can relate to that in this room. So you use blue, you're looking for the blue thoughts, the blue thoughts in your child. So 
blaming, blaming oneself. This is, I, I'm so stupid. I'm like the worst math student, right? Math is so hard for just me, only me. L, looking for the negative, and the teacher decided to give the hardest page in the entire workbook tonight. Like, that's what's happening. This is the hardest page. Unhappy guesses. Like, I'm probably going to get every single answer wrong. And then exaggerating or catastrophizing. Um, I'm going to get these wrong. Then I'll get the, like, I'm going to fail the test. And then because I failed the test, I'm going to fail the whole report card. Then I'm never going to graduate high school. And I'm actually never, I'm, I'm not going to go to college. And I'm going to be doing nothing with the rest of my life. So that is how they might get from A to, to C. Um, so these are all based on research, cognitive distortions, but this is, I just love this for kids. And what you want to do is you want to use something that I like to call the stop method. Um, and because you've already done all that feeling identification, you can stop them to identify their mood, right? So what are you feeling right now? You seem really overwhelmed. T, identify the negative thought, right? So you are worried that you are going to get this whole page wrong. And that then you're gonna you're not gonna do well on the test, and you're never doing anything with your life. Um, oh, other thought, right? Replace the negative thought with something realistic, not positive, but realistic. So, realistic might sound like math feels hard for me. I'm feeling overwhelmed with this, and I think I can take some deep breaths and start the homework, and and check and take a, a break in ten minutes and kind of check in and see how I'm doing. I've done this homework before. I usually get these feelings and I usually somehow get through this. So they're relying on past experiences with, with your help. Um, this is not an easy thing to do. They, they will need your support, especially at first, because this is, I think, one of the hardest skills of CBT. Um, so once you do that with them, you, you say really good job, praise yourself and praise yourselves for getting through that with them. Okay, so then the last, the last part of the triangle is behaviors. Okay, so there's something called behavioral activa activation, and it's just essentially fake it till you make it, right? Because sometimes the feelings do feel so overwhelming, and you really can't access these skills of like, I really, I don't feel like, like thinking about how I feel right now. I don't want to talk about like what the thought is, but you do need to kind of move on, or maybe there's like a reason that you can't be kind of slumped in a corner, especially in school, right? Like we do need to transition from one activity to the next. And so it's always good to have some type of thing to, to be able to actually do to improve your mood. That could literally be jumping jacks, right? Because endorphins will get released and, and that's always linked to, to positive mood. Within the home, I always like to say prescribe some fun. It doesn't sound very fun when you have to prescribe it, I guess. But, but what you're doing is you're creating a positive feedback loop for, for your family, right? So when you get off the bus, instead of starting homework, what we're going to do is we're going to have like a five-minute dance party. Like that's what we're doing tonight and that's what we're going to do this whole week because we're just going to like get ourselves into a better mood after, after a hard day at school. For specifically for anxiety, there's something called exposure treatments, creating fear hierarchies. What this essentially means is you're exposing yourself to whatever it is that you were afraid of. And the more times you do that, the, the less scary it becomes. That, that's, that's the idea, right? So I actually can just use myself right now. Whenever I start a presentation, I'm very nervous. But the longer I stand up doing it, I'm actually, I'm truly okay right now. I'm probably like a four. So I started at like an eight, okay? Um, when, as a kid, if I were to have had someone to bring me to a dog on a leash and stand next to that dog and kind of just like have space with the dog, maybe for like five minutes, then I would take another step forward and then I'd put my hands on the dog, right? That is gradually exposing me to something that was really scary for me and I'm retraining my brain that I'm actually safe. 
I still don't think I would have been safe, but I don't want to admit that. Okay. Um, so I hate to like, you've probably seen this a million times, but it's really the truth. And none of this, like we don't have it in us to do all those things with our kids if we are not taking care of ourselves. I have a funny like relationship with the idea of self-care. I think like it could mean so many different things. And, and I think it's also really hard for us. And, and sometimes it really needs to be intentional and, and like, a, like a practiced skill for, I think, parents to, to do things for yourself. And I don't mean like getting a massage or like or going to, you know, anywhere that, that actually takes like more effort and becomes more stressful than helpful. I think especially at times like these, and you see where I'm going with this, um, we're looking for comfort. You're looking for the things that ground you a little bit and that could literally mean like, I like certain coffee and I want to make sure it's there for me tomorrow morning. And like, that is self-care. I mean, th- that's my self-care. But you, you know you, yourself best. This isn't necessarily the time to like reinvent the wheel and start thinking of all these like amazing glamorous ways to like put yourself first, right? We never put ourselves first. You should. But I think it's about thinking, when do I feel comfort? When do I feel like myself, right? And, and those are the things that you want to start to get back in touch with clearly like acronyms and if you want to remember how to take care of yourself there is the ABCs. so there's awareness balance and connection and awareness and again we're talking about ourselves now so awareness really using those skills that I, I just spent so much time on how do you feel how are you feeling in different situations what situations are more triggering to you than others and where do you need to put more distance where do you need to put in more of your own coping skills um in terms of balance I'm talking here really about like the basics like eating, sleeping, exercising, really, really taking care of like your basic, basic needs because I think those are really underestimated. Um, and no one, no one does well. I don't care what you say. No one does well on not enough sleep. People do not do well when they're hungry. Um, and then in terms of just like the technology and the social media, I think now more than ever, we're obviously glued and addicted. Um, but just, just, and I'm not telling you not to because I'm guilty of it also. But it's really just about knowing is, is how much is this helping me and how much is this hurting me, my family, whatever it is. I, I'm in no place to judge. I'll tell you that. Um, and then lastly, just connection because really like we are like we, we are social creatures. So even coming tonight is, is such a beautiful thing for yourselves, right? Because look how many people here are here with the same goal, the same interests, except for my childhood friends who showed up. Um, but I, I think like connecting with other parents and people who are going through something similar um, can't, can't be underestimated. Okay. So I'm just going to now end with a bit about how we're parenting now um, with a war going on. And, and before I start with these three concepts that I want to kind of go through, just to say like, like the rabbi mentioned, I'm trained in Dr. Becky's good inside approach. So how many of you are familiar with her? Oh, okay, great. Stop me if you're bored. Um, But I just think these three really like hit the nail. So she has this idea of a sturdy pilot, this metaphor where, um, you know, if you think about being on a plane and then there's turbulence and then the pilot comes on the plane and there's like the first kind of pilot you might get where he's like, can everyone just sit down right now? And I really don't feel like dealing with this right now. Like I'm very frustrated also. Like I know that, okay. That's like, that's a little frightening. Then there's like the anxious pilot who's like, oh my gosh, like there's turbulence. Like, does anybody like want to try to fly the plane? Like, I don't, I'm not like so comfortable with this. So then you're just worried about like him even knowing what to do. And then the last pilot, obviously the one we all want to be for our family is, is this sturdy pilot who comes on and says, 
I know there's turbulence. It doesn't feel good. I, re I promise I know what I'm doing. I've done this a thousand times. Just buckle your seatbelts. I'll let you know. Whatever. And what is that doing for us? It's, it's validating us, right? Like they, they believe that we feel nervous, but he's totally in control. And that is how we want to feel right now with our kids. And, and I do not misunderstand me. Like, and I will talk about this. Your feelings are so important and, and, and in some ways more important than how our kids are feeling. Um, and being honest with them about that is also really important. And showing them that you have control. Okay, so I'll come back to that. The idea of family jobs is basically, have you guys heard this one, the, the Becky people? Okay, good. Um, all right, so in, in a family, right, I like to think of that, like the parents have a job and the kids have a job. What do you guys, like, let's hear from some people. What do you think is like a parent's job? What do you, do you can, there's, no, like, there's not like a wrong answer. We're all parents. Making decisions. Making decisions, yes. Anything else? Feeding, yeah. Okay, those are good. We, we, we need to keep our kids safe, right? So we have to make decisions to keep them safe, right? And we have to feed them. Um, we take them to doctor's appointments. Like we do, like when they're like infants and toddlers, we're like not gonna let them like put things in their mouths. And we're, we're just like, that's what we're doing. We're, we're like keeping our kids alive. And a, what's a kid's job? Can anyone think? Right. I'm not gonna make anyone say. A kid's job is really to experience the world, have feelings, have the range of feelings. Now that can be so inconvenient for us as parents, right? But like a tantrum, that's like good. Like I love a good tantrum. And I, and I mean it, like I have a toddler. And, and when he's tantruming, and my older two kids did not get the best parent of me, but like my baby now, like he has a tantrum, I'm like good, like this is good. And so it is so hard for us as the parents for so many reasons, but our real job is to just support these feelings that they're having. And when those two jobs get, like when the roles get crossed, that's when the family feels like it's chaotic, right? It is never our job to change the way our kids feel. And remember that, like that is really one of the most important things. When, again, when our kids feel nervous, that is okay. We, it is our job to stay sturdy, but to, to validate and support. And I think it's very, very, very crucial to have your own parenting mantra through this because these are really hard times. I do not mean to simplify how to stay in control with our kids. It's impossible. But so saying to yourself something like, this is, this I, I'm having a hard time because this feels really hard right now. And it is really, really hard right now. Okay, so now this is going to be, so for overall like general parenting during this time, and then I have just a couple slides breaking it down just to different age groups. Um, I know this is supposed to be elementary, but I figured it would be helpful anyways. Um, so, so the first thing I want to say in terms of modeling coping, if I, if I haven't kind of made this clear already, um, you can tell your kids how you're feeling. You, you do not need to hide this from them. In fact, it's, it's exhausting to hide this from them. And actually, when we hide it from them, we're never doing a good job. I don't care what you tell me. Like, you're not. And our kids are so in tune to us and so smart. And this actually ties back full circle to my, to my first few slides, right? They are learning about the world through us. And they're constantly checking us. And they're constantly observing us. And, and taking our temperature. And if we look at them... <laughs> turn around from the stove and we just wiped our tears like, hi, that's creepy for a kid, right? Like, that's like, wait, what? Like, I heard you. So that is, there's, there's going to be a lack of trust if that happens. Better to turn around and say, I was crying. I'm, I'm really sad right now. I'm sad about what's going on in Israel. I'm still your mom who can make you dinner and do your homework with you. I'm good. I'm taking care of myself. That will take you so much further, I promise. 
Um, and then you can even say, I'm sad and this is what I'm going to do to take care of myself. I, I, after we're done, I'm going to go take a shower. That always feels really good for me. Like that really calms my, calms my body. That's what I need to do after. No, I want you to say, no, after we're homework, I'm going to be going upstairs and then I'm going to come back. And that is modeling good coping for them. Acknowledge, validate, permit, just in terms of the feelings. Again, acknowledging to yourself, validating for yourself, but also for your kids, allowing for their feelings, no matter what they are. Connecting and being with your child, especially during this time, during, during any, I mean, obviously any time, any day, but terms, t- times of stress, um, being with them phone-free, device-free, depending on how old your kid is. If you have little kids, playing with them is, is always the best. And just if you have like an older teen, just sitting and talking, no distractions. This is really, what, what we're trying to do is create safety for, your, for our kids, right? Everything that's going on, especially now, any question they're asking us, what they're actually asking is, am I safe? Are we safe? Am I safe in this family? When you do things like this, you're, you're giving them a feeling of safety. Maintaining routines. I, again, I don't mean recreating routines. I mean getting up and they like pancakes for breakfast. That's what they're getting for breakfast. And that you, you're just doing the things that you do because that, those are the things that, that make a kid feel safe. And then to trust in their resilience, right? Because we know that through all the things we just talked about, they, they can get there. They will, they will develop it. Okay. Are there, are there people with little kids under five? Okay, cool. So for kids this age, obviously, I mean, there'll, there'll be different experiences. Obviously, some kids who have older siblings will know more than, than a different kid. Um, but at a minimum, they, they can sense the change in environment. So just keep that in the back of your mind. I don't say that to like make anybody nervous. It's just something to know because like all these things that, that I'm talking about are our nonverbal mannerisms. They can sense that. So the importance of our tone of voice, our body language, our mannerisms about embodying the sturdy pilot for the very, for the very little ones is, is really important. Again, reassuring safety for them. And so what I mean by this is that this is not an age where you're going to go to them and tell them what's going on. But if they're going to ask you, then this is the main thing that you really want to, the main message you want to give them is that they're safe. Now, I will say the caveat is that I think a lot of us are questioning this right now, right? And I, and I realize that. Um, I, I'm sure Lisa also, like anyone who's in schools where there's tons of OHEL webinars that, that have been coming out, um, guiding us. And even Dr. Norman Blumenthal has said on a webinar that the advice that he gave on October 8th is, is different today. That so much of what he has been advising has changed just based on how much has changed since then. So the advice still stands. We, we do want our kids to feel safe. We, we don't want them to walk around. Like, there is the good anxiety, but we don't want them walking around up here all the time feeling the, you know, the, the constant alertness. Um, so, so it is okay to say to them, you are safe with us. We are safe. If you are not sure how your child is doing, like, I think sometimes under five, you're like, what do they know? Like, what do they know about what's going on? Observing their play or playing with them will give you more information than, than you realized. Um, this is where, this is kids' language, is, is play. So a, a four-year-old won't say to you the horrifying things that like you imagine, right? But they might be playing and they might play a fight. They might get aggressive in their play. That is all like more than okay. So I, I will often get parents that I work with saying like, oh my gosh, and they like were like shooting and I said no shoot. I'm like, everything is fine in play. Just because they're shooting in play doesn't mean that they're going to be 
God forbid, shooting in real life. And actually, that's, that's really amazing that they're able to kind of get that out in a safe space. So you, you want to allow for that. And then just, of course, increased affection and connecting with, with this age. We mean, all our kids, but under five, like lots, lots of hugs is, is good for them during, during this time. Okay, so elementary school. Um, so this is the age that really it is the most important um, for you to acknowledge that you're having a reaction, I think, is really like this age. Because this is really when, obviously, they're way more verbal and way more attuned to you. Um, so don't be afraid to say that to them. This also is a very tricky age where they are going to see and hear more. Um, like I said before, not knowing is scarier than knowing in terms of, of a feeling. Meaning if they're sensing something and we dismiss it and they're like, what's that, what's that picture there? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Like that is scarier for them because they're like, I see something and, I, and you're lying to me and I don't know what you're lying to me about, but you're lying about something. So I... These are really hard conversations to have with your kids, and there's probably like a million what-if scenarios. Um, but just keep that in the back of your mind, that like when we don't answer them, that feels very scary for them. Um, having a narrative around this is important. Uh, giving a history of the Jewish people, how things like this have happened in the past, that is comforting um, for kids to hear, right? Like we've won in the past. And helping them obviously express anything that they're hearing from other people. The number one thing I always tell my own children at least is whatever you hear, you come tell me first. Before you believe it, you might feel, if something feels scary, come ask me about it so that we can, we can talk about it. Sorry about that. I guess that's the only one. <laughs> um, okay, so specifically boys will often have an interest in like gory details. They're not psychopaths. It's very age appropriate for them to want to know about the guns and the blood and what happened and that might like horrify you. It's totally developmentally appropriate for them to be interested in that. You also might notice that they come at you with like a million questions and then like you're all ready to continue and then they like want to go just get a snack and like leave and then they're going to come back like three hours later right or maybe three weeks later so you're just kind of following their lead um and it's like a little bit exhausting but this all is normal for for this age this is an opportunity to strengthen their connection to israel i mean for all our kids but again this age i think really can like soak this up right now and you know opportunity for them to do something i'm sure this shul has done plenty all of our shuls and schools have done such wonderful initiatives and i think that when they feel that they like have a task or a job that's in itself a way of coping with this um also this is like a funny age because they're kind of in between developing empathy and still like not understanding other people's emotions and perspective taking. So because they're in this like weird place, it's also an opportunity to teach, right? So again, depending on what they know already, you can also use that to talk about other people's feelings in, in different situations. Um, and then of course, if they have zero reaction, that's also fine. Um, every, every kid is different. Every kid process is different. So this should not be alarming. Basically, everything's normal. That's what I'm kind of trying to say. Okay, so um, now for adolescents, so we know if anyone here has an adolescent, we all were once, right? Um, this is a really hard age, and I think it's a hard age to parent. I'm not looking forward to it. And it's marked by a quest for independence, identity formation, and emotional highs and lows, right? So you can imagine how that might be 
coming up now. Um, you, of course, for this age would assume they have the information. Um, I would still limit exposure. You can explain to them that it might be, it might be interesting to want to look at, at the photos and whatever, but you, you know, there is real research stating that it is so dangerous and harmful for their brains and the, and the development and the trauma exposure of these, of these photos. Um, it would be very appropriate to like have really strong boundaries around that. Um, because of these of these big highs and lows, your job really like in terms back to those family jobs, you want to validate them and and kind of contain them. They're they're going to have like big ideas, bi- like big solutions, very a lot of anger probably. Um, and you not that you want to tone them down, but you want to really give them good history and facts of what is happening, and that it's a very complex situation. And in the same way that like we need to connect with each other, you're you know the teens really need to connect with with other teens and then encourage actionable response we covered that okay and you do not have to have the answers i think that's like a really important thing a really important takeaway right when when our kids come with these like well why do why do bad things happen to good people you're like oh okay so we're there right and you can say like i also struggle with that question that is okay okay where are my three two ones (laughs) Okay, so we, I like had printed something. We realized I didn't tell anyone to bring pens. Um, my, my content of my presentation is over, but we, I put together just a little three, three, um, three things you learned, two things you found interesting, and one question you still have. Hmm? Oh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. You don't have, I mean, yeah. But, um, but otherwise, I'm, I'm done. And if anyone has any questions that they want to ask now, that's fine. I just need it. <laughs> yeah. Would you be able to share the PowerPoint? Yeah, absolutely. I can send it to. We'll send it. We'll send it. Mm-hmm. I'll send it to Lisa for sure. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is Reese still? Okay. We, 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 we used to live in far cells okay. together. Um, <laughs> Do you remember some baby? My almost five-year-old like loves loves Israel. Like loves seeing about Israel. Loves holding his flag. Loves talking about Israel. Calls it our homeland. And like since the war started. Now doesn't want to go to Israel, and I'm scared of Israel. I don't like Israel. Yeah. So how do I have a conversation about that to like validate how he's feeling, but also make sure like he loves Israel and he knows he has to love Israel. Right. 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 So I think I think that's a question. I think a lot of us are. I'll, I can share personally my. Do you remember Aria, mm-hmm. my oldest? She's almost eight, and the night that it started, she said to me, my, "She's also obsessed with Israel," and it's like I never told her that there has been terrorism in Israel. I mean, she's gone this long without knowing. And then this happened. And so when I told her what was happening, the first thing she said was, oh, wow, now I'm really glad we don't live there. Because she used to say she wants to go live there. And it, of course, broke my heart, right? So I think in a situation like that, obviously you validate, yes, what's happening feels really scary right now. We love Israel so much. Israel is our land. And there's going to be a time that it's going to be safe for us to be there. And that's, that's how I would handle that. And it, and, and it does, but it, it's both things, right? Like he can feel scared and also love it at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's not one or the other. So you mentioned that you love tantrums. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's like another presentation, but go ahead. <laughs> I guess tying into like a lot of what you talked about, about like validating, helping kids identify the emotions. I feel like tantrums are just really hard when they're so angry and not thinking straight and just I guess any tips for like navigating when you're like in the heat of it yes. and like making sure you don't do something that like 
emotionally harms them. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've done those things, so don't worry. <laughs> okay, so, all right, my, my feelings about tantrums, and again, if you want to invite me back, I'll give a whole presentation just on that. Um, they're about desire, right? Tantrums are, are little people telling us, like, I want something so badly. Like, I want the cookie. Like, I don't care if it's 6 o'clock in the morning. Like, that's what I want. So I'm, I'm giving you, like, like, the broader idea before I say, like, what you, what you can do. Um, I think if we understand it already, that's, like, a step forward to help us in the moment. So, like, it's not and, – and, of course, for us, we're, like, definitely not. Like, no cookies, no ice cream for breakfast. Like, no way. And they're, like, no, no, but that's what I want. And if we're going to go back to that idea of confidence, right, good that you know what you want. Like, that's so cool. Like – it can be both. You can want that and I can still say no, but I love that you know that you want the cookie. So obviously saying this to like the two-year-old is going to get you nowhere, but I think it helps you stay calmer when you're dealing with it because at least in the moment you can say to yourself, okay, like they want that so badly and like it's so hard. Like they have zero control over anything in their world and they just want that cookie, so like it's and they won't get it. So they have no way to regulate yet. This is where that idea of co-regulation comes in because this is about like taking care of yourself first, maybe because if we stay calm, not that they're going to snap out of the tantrum, but it'll feel less scary to them. Our kids don't like having tantrums, so that's I like it because I know that there's like growing happening, but that the feelings are actually very scary for the child when it's going on. So if they're screaming and throwing themselves on the floor and flailing and then they're going to bang their head on the floor. I mean, that's what my son has been doing. He's now banging his head on the floor. And your number one job is safety. Remember family jobs? So you're going to scoop them up and not let them bang their head on the floor because obviously. Um, But the other thing we want to really be mindful of is that we are staying as grounded as possible because if they're freaking out and then we start freaking out, then it's like giving this message back to them that, oh, this really is something to... Your, your feelings are so scary that I'm even scared of your feelings. So he's already scared of his feelings. So if I'm going to escalate too, then he's like, oh, shoot, I made her really like, scared too. So this is like a really bad situation. Now the opposite, if like, even in their face, just start doing a deep breath, that would be co-regulation. Him seeing the parent just staying calm and doing things to actively stay calm. And that would also be a good time for like a parenting mantra, like, my child's having our time. My child just wants something so badly. He, has, he can't get what he wants right now. That's really hard for him right now. And over and over in your head. So in the moment, I don't have like some amazing solution for you. My, my, my goal for myself is to stay calm because it will pass. I promise, right? I mean, you can tell me if, if it never, if he's still tantruming at home right now while you're here. But the tantrum does end. So I think of it like a fire, like, like you just want to like survive and like get through it and you can't like fireproof in the middle of the fire. So while the tantrum's happening, your, your number one job is to keep them safe and stay calm. Maybe, maybe you say you're having a hard time in a really like soothing voice. You just want to do whatever you can to calm them and make sure that they don't hurt themselves. Now, there's things you could do before, there's things you can do after. And in the before, it's a lot of prepping, right? And, and it's prepping for a feeling, because just like everything else I said, it's not, always, it's not really about the thing, it's about the feeling that they don't know what to do with. And so if you said to your, to your kid like the night before, and again, it's not magic, it, this takes a lot of like, you know, reinforcement and a lot of processing with them, but if you said, oh, you know what I'm thinking about tomorrow morning for breakfast, 
we're, we're, we're going to have yogurt tomorrow, either yogurt or pancakes. I think you're going to ask me for a cookie. Are you going to ask me for a cookie? And then he's going to say, so what are you going to do? Because I'm going to say no. That's, that's going to feel hard. So what you're doing there is you're kind of giving him, it's like exposure to, right? Like you're giving him a little bit of a taste of the feeling. Like you're setting it up in a very safe place. What are we going to do when I say no and you get really angry? Like really, really angry. Like I'm going to let you get angry. Of course you can be angry. But I'm not going to let you hit me. And I'm not going to let you throw at me. So what, am I gonna, what are we going to do? And you can say to him, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take deep breaths. Do you want to try them with me? And you're going to make a plan. And again, it, don't, I'm not, don't look at my information if it doesn't work out. But it, it, this over time. And boundaries, like I mentioned before, boundaries aren't like punishments. Like that's not what I mean by boundaries. Boundaries are telling your child what you're going to do. And your kid has to do nothing. It, actually, it's nothing to do with your kid. It's what you're going to do. So meaning you would say to him, if you start to hit me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a big hug because I'm not going to let you hit me. And I'm going to stop you from hitting me. That's what I'll be doing. Okay. Does this answer you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, asking, like, for a little older, maybe, like, middle school age kids. So, like, obviously we're living in a very scary time and there's many things happening and they're hearing about it. And, like, when they're looking to you for reassurance of safety and the truth is that you can't really reassure total safety, like, whatever it is, like, you know, either day to day or for a family that lives in Israel or for going to the rally and something can happen, whatever, like whatever the situation is, like you want to say we're doing everything we can to yeah. be safe, we can't really guarantee it. Yeah. So like, how do you hope that with those hearing we talked about this in the car. I said, someone's going to ask me that question, and I don't have a good answer for it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to give you my best answer. Um, I think that's, like, the hardest thing that we're all dealing with right now is that there's just, like, again, we're, like, teaching our kids, like, okay, it's okay to be nervous, but, like, you're really safe, but, like, actually, maybe we're not really safe right now, right? And we're all feeling that. So I think for this, and I'm saying I think because I'm being really transparent, like, I don't really know the answer to this. It is really hard. I'm dealing with it daily myself. Um, I think the, the first thing to do is to make sure they feel that you're hearing them and that their feelings are real and that even though you're also feeling scared, right? So you can say, like, I really, really get, I get it. I get where you're coming from right now. Like, I also am feeling nervous. These are things that, you know, the, the protests, the, you know, all these things, the threats, like, it's scary. I, I hear you. Um, I think connecting with them on that is important. I think this is also a good opportunity, again, to just go through some Jewish history. That's, that's what I've been honestly leaning on myself during this and, and talking that through with, with your older kid who you think can handle it. Like, like these are things that the Jewish people have unfortunately had to face. Like we've, every holiday is, they wanted to kill us and then we, and then we, we won, right? And so I think focusing on that and finding strength in um, doing things and it, you know, having pride in Israel and really understanding like what or connecting, I think, with how special of a people we are um, has has brought me, you know, strength in this and, and helped me speak to my kids about these things. But, you know, I think that this also leads into a whole conversation about good and evil. And when your child is asking, like, but like, why do they why do they hate us so much? And you're like, I don't know. And again, I, I think this is one of those moments to say, like, I struggle with this question, too. I do. And, and, then, and then I think where the reassurance comes in is to be able to say to them, as your parent, 
I'm making the decisions that I believe are the right ones for our family. I'm going to this rally. I feel safe going to the rally. I mean, if you don't feel safe going, I mean, I would say that, honestly. I'm not, I don't lie to my kids. I never recommend lying to kids. I think you can say something like, I believe this is the right thing to do and I'm going to do it. And if I feel nervous, this is what I'm going to do to deal with feeling nervous. That was my best answer. (laughs) Anything else? Okay. Yeah. I, I just wanted to thank you for, one, this presentation, but also going on those dog examples. I would You too? You too? one-hour session. Hi. We'll talk. Three girls. Uh-huh. Just oh, your kids. I'm over it. So, yes, I will happily help you. <laughs> yes. Yes. So there's so many issues with this where you see, like, is it anxiety or is it something else? Like, so much of what you're saying could be anxiety or could be something else. Yeah. So, like, how do you know when it's something else or really your kid just has anxiety? Right, right. So, I mean, there are so many things that look the same, right? Um, there are so many things that look the same. I think, honestly, if there's, like, a real concern, then you, you bring it to a professional, right? And there's different questionnaires and things that, that you would do to, to parse it out. I, I, in, my, in my experience, like the, the thing that I do see such overlap with is ADHD and anxiety. So it's something I'm, I'm particularly sensitive to because I think so many of the symptoms really do look similar. Um, you know, ADHD is really, you know, it's a, a, a chemical, imbe- well, I guess so, I guess anxiety can be too. But, you know, I, I think in terms of like how the frontal lobe is functioning, ADHD, true ADHD, is di- is very different, and there's like ways to to see that. But any particular things to look out for that you just in, in seeing a million examples of that of okay, this is probably ADHD, or okay, this is probably anxiety. I think also just knowing what else is going on for a child mm-hmm. can help. Meaning, what's with the family system? What is happening? Like, what are the social dynamics for this, for this child? Like what other, is this child responding to a stressor or is this child like has a history of like never being able to like stay in their seat in class? Does that make sense? It makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely hard. All right. Good. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. You don't need those for me or for them? <laughs> oh, sorry. Thank you. Okay.